Thank you for listening to The Only Way Is Up, where we pit science and homeopathic remedies against each other to arm you in the battle of good mental health. The ideas expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only. If you have a medical condition, please contact a trained healthcare professional. For additional information and content, join us on Patreon, and otherwise, enjoy the show. We're red. All right. All these little tiny screws, if I just knocked those on the floor, how would your life be at that point? You know, honestly, it it would make me hate you no more or no less, because to me, you are already dead. But uh, that said, I don't even know where those screws go to. Okay, perfect. Um, episode 22. What an intro. What a what a start to this. For those j- tuning in, uh, Jack and I have already been bitching at each other for the last 45 minutes in studio. <laughs> so uh, we come at you already sort of worn down and, and uh, beaten up. And um, I also have had zero sleep in the last 24 hours because we took a red eye from Seattle. And uh, I'm, I'm tired. So I- I'm going to go ahead and... Because you did this last episode too, um, you didn't really announce who we were until like I don't know twenty minutes into it. So I'm Jack. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Only Way Is Up, and I'd like to introduce uh, Chris G, my co-host, in this journey that we are on for uh, men's mental health and uh, goodness and kindness. And if you've never listened to us before, um, basically we're just two guys struggling through life, trying to figure this out and uh, deciphering everything we know through Google and our therapist. Welcome to episode 22 of The Only Way Is Up. I'm Chris G, and this is uh, today in studio with me, Jack H. Um, I just wanted to repeat all that stuff that you just did because uh, you did it wrong. So um, Really? Because I didn't say the number, and you did, and you got rid of the show numbers altogether. So are we doing show numbers, <laughs> not doing show numbers? Uh, whatever whatever your wife wants. It's been a long seven it's, months. It, yeah. <laughs> all right, today's episode is Dealing With Fear, which is basically the whole premise of anxiety, if you... If you uh, I mean, that's really the component. Um, dealing with fear. So, um, intro chat. Um, Jack, what's going on, man? You got uh, some stuff you want to share? Not yet. Okay. I do. It's. I'm, I have information. It's in the secret vault. I'm not allowed to release it yet. It's driving me crazy. Seeing as how I am the female in my family, I am not... <laughs> allowed to make it facebook official yet that's, but, that's true out of out of uh, three women and or out of uh well uh, jack and then his two daughters and wife i mean he's, he's the you're you're cornered man you're just oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i am straight up yeah <laughs> i'm the only one concerned about how my hips look in my outfit i can tell you that <laughs> but how, how is everything else going though otherwise i mean uh just, good you know. business is picking up good um uh, and doing all kinds of cool stuff i'm i'm leaving saturday mm-hmm. going on a one week moose hunt. Oh, and by the way, there is no self coverage. There is no emails. There is no text. There's no phone calls. It is one with Mother Nature. So, so basically, you're gonna come back home to about 55 different RIP. The only way is up text message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, Chris like gets mad for some reason, and he wakes up and has like a bad mood, and he goes, "Rest in peace." The only way is up, and like it's my fault that his child isn't sleeping through the night. It's uh, yeah. I just I wake every time I wake up on the wrong side of the bed, I think of you first. That's how that's terrible, but it's just you put me in that kind of mood. I'm your Renfro (laughs) to you, Dracula. (laughs) I see that you're asking about burpees still. We can do them, man, but every time you're like, oh, I got dance class with my wife. What? Okay, you can only do them on Tuesday? Well, I work out three days a week. I give you prime opportunity to meet me at 730 in the morning. 
in different locations. I'd say it's let's not that hard. I'd say let's do this weekend, but you're shirking your podcast responsibilities and going to hunt moose, which um, you know. Well, tomorrow morning at seven thirty, I'll be at, at the workout location W. Why don't you come meet there at seven thirty? There, I'll I'll seven seven thirty seven thirty tomorrow morning. Why is it a normal time this time? Well, we're I'm giving you the opportunity to come after we're done working out. Oh, 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 we're I gonna see. work oh, out from okay. six to seven fifteen. Gotcha. Then you can show up at seven thirty. Understood. And then I'll, I'll consider that. And then we'll do this, do some burpees. And then uh, next week we are doing uh, a show with Asha. So we had a guest last week. She was pretty cool. We're having her back on. Uh, while Jack is shirking his podcast host responsibilities, um, she will be taking over. And, um, you know, hey, maybe she'll muscle him out and then be the uh, permanent uh, permanent host. We'll see. But then who would write? Actually, you would still make me write the show. Right. Notes. <laughs> You're like, hey, Jack, uh, here's your walking papers. But we need the show notes Sunday we, prior to. Yeah, we, we need you to keep doing this. And by we have some ideas for show notes. Yeah. <laughs> make sure you uh, dot cross the T's and dot the I's. So dealing with fear, um, yeah, fear, you know, fear. Just to kind of break it down, anxiety is in, at its, I guess, maybe simplest form is that's what it is. It is fear. Your it is your the lizard part of your brain that is designed to keep you safe when you are out in the wilderness and you hear some twigs cracking or some strange noises. Your body is it goes into a fear-like state, so that way you survive. Because the lizards and iguanas that were not afraid of like hawks flying around, well, guess what? They got they got picked up and eaten. So so that is the fear component and why your brain has that little uh, amygdala partner. Um, so uh, Jack, fear dealing with fear. You know what? It's the biggest thing that nobody wants to talk about. Being a dude. How often have you admitted to other men that you were afraid? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Certainly in the beginning, for me, it was, I mean, that was like, I mean, I, I would wake up in a state of absolute 100% fear. And that lasted for, you know, a good couple of months. It, it was tough to talk about. I mean, you know, it's, I, or, or digest. Even when we would go mountain biking with our other dude friends mm. and, we, and there was OCD jump, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Did we admit that, you know what, I'm afraid to do this? Or was it, eh, my tire pressure isn't really looking good today. <laughs> I didn't put WD-40 on a chain. I, there's no way I can do that jump. I only paid 4000 for this downhill bike. <laughs> if I had the $6,000 bike, I'd totally be all over it. No, men, men I, I think, probably do struggle more with t uh, saying that they're afraid of something or, or admitting fear than than probably than women do however most people don't like to admit or talk about having anxiety in any capacity well and we're going to get into it you know like there, there's good fear and there's bad fear right yeah you know what I mean? like yeah. i i have a fear of burning my finger on the hot stove so mm. I, I don't touch the hot stove yeah right i mean there's different things like that but then there's the unhealthy fear that we're going to get into is if if i leave the house today Something bad is going to happen, so f it. I'm just going to stay at my house today, and and that and that's just it. Like I just I don't, I can't go outside. I can't deal with that. It, it's it's interesting you bring that up because there are there were case studies of people that have had basically non-functioning amygdalas. So like whereas you and I, when we see a a highway full of cars and our you know initial thing is well I shouldn't you know cross that road in fear of getting hit by a car and dying. Those people that have a non-functioning amygdala just sort of go, huh, eh, fuck it, and then just 
walk right through traffic, right? Because there's nothing in their head that's telling them, hey, this is not a good idea. You know, you need to go into survival mode. Right. Whereas then you, you have people like us where on the opposite side of that spectrum where the fear component is just always turned on, right? So then... And then, of course, and you and I have, I mean, I speak for myself, obviously, but I'm, I'm sure even in your worst situations, you at least were leaving your house and still, you know, active. You were working and functioning, you know, maybe not at I put up a, a false front. Yeah. I, I'll f- be honest fair, with you. Fair enough. But you were still getting out and doing things. Correct. Yep, yep, yep. There are people, and unfortunately, very sadly, that suffer so badly with anxiety that it turns into... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The where they don't want to leave the house. Uh, it's like a grippling fear type of thing. Yeah, um, agoraphobia. Sorry, agoraphobia, that was what I was looking yeah. for. Yeah, and they they just do not they they can't even leave the house because they are just so so frightened. Um, which which is you know that's horrible. Um, but again, the good news is is that it's it's um you can you can heal it. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> you can learn to deal with it better. Yes. Which by the way is your next point. So you say dealing with it, but it is actually living with it that is hard. So explain what what, what do you mean by that? And in the show notes, you're right. I actually did put dealing with fear, but underneath it, I put, you know, I say dealing with it, but actually living with it is the hard part um, because that's just it. Like it, fear becomes such a normal person to me. Well, actually, no, me. When, when I was in the military, like I don't believe I found myself in a situation where I was afraid. I found myself in situations where... I was second guessing the plan. Like either I had made the plan or somebody else had made the plan and you're kind of like, uh, I don't know if this is going to work. It could be everything from a search and rescue case to an operation that we were conducting. You know, if, and, and the thing about it is, is you're not, I wasn't thinking on, I don't know if this plan is going to work. I was thinking like, okay, if this plan goes to crap, then we're going to go to Bump Plan Bravo. And if that one fails, we're going to go to Bump Plan Charlie. So, you know, we have plans laid out. Yeah. Is what I guess what I'm trying to say. So it's not like I was looking at it like, oh, my God, I'm scared to go out on the boat because, you know, it's 27-foot waves. We're in a 40-foot boat. Like, you know, you know, we could actually die. Like, that wasn't even in my thought process. My thought process was we're going out to go tow this sailboat back in with a broken mast. If we pass the line to, and it misses, mm. what's the next step? What is the next thing we're going to do? Because we're going to get this person and we're going to bring them in. Does what, that make sense? What, what it, it does. What would you now that you're not doing stuff like that? What, what would you say your biggest fear is today? Uh, okay, so. In, in other words, I, I know you get triggered. Your anxiety gets triggered when you get stuck behind like a slow grandma in Williamsburg, which, which <laughs> hey, hey, Lord knows fair, we all do. Who doesn't? Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> but like, obviously, you're not afraid of slow, slow grandmas. You just I'm don't. afraid of what I'll do. <laughs> you, yeah, sure, sure. Well, well, so that that can be a thing. Yeah. But, but yeah. I mean, it, but that I mean that said though, I mean what what it, what what it, we know my fear. My fears are neurological disorders. So mine is a fear of failing. Okay. Um, and, and I created that monster mm-hmm. in the military. I was successful and I, and I, and I had built myself up and, and I get this, this is all in my brain. Like mm-hmm. I, just because Jack, the warrant officer retired, he didn't become Jack, the shitbag civilian. Right. Sure. But in my brain, that's it. That's what it feels because like. Because in the military, I was this person, but outside the military, I'm here. 
So now that I'm like trying to like grow the business and do different things and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that that fear of I don't it's not even I'm past fear of failing. Now I'm into fear of success. Okay. Right? Because th- then if I, okay, well, I'm not afraid to fail, but I'm afraid to succeed because, you know, I, you know, I, di- I did this training session. I did really good. And then I did this training session. I did really good. And these people want me to go over here to go train up there. Well, okay, but what if I, what if I crap on that training session? What if it's not as good as the other two? That, that, I did. that that is a very common thing uh, that there are people that will intentionally put, you know put like only give half effort because they are afraid to succeed which in turn is really just a component of being afraid to fail right because if you think that you are if you're afraid of your success in that either a you won't achieve it or b you have like a, somewhat of like an identity crisis which by the way um, this is a pretty common thing with billionaires they have this. I forgot the 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 syndrome name. I'm very tired right now. But but basically, where like they they feel like they don't deserve their success. Yeah. And um, you know, but anyway, and I would I would argue though that on on even though two different sides of a coin, there are this, they are the same coin of which is that you are afraid of maybe failure to some some degree. But you know, it's interesting because you're afraid of something like either success and or failure. But then there are other people, you know, you said, but you said being in the battlefield, you know, getting shot at and whatever, like getting attacked by pirates, that didn't scare you. But could you imagine putting a normal person in that situation? It would scare the shit out of them, right? So, yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing that anxiety only exists because it's attacking that thing that you are afraid of. And that thing that you are afraid of happens to be different for basically everybody on earth. Yes, it's a very it's a very curious thing. Now you said you're afraid of disorders, Neuro, neurological disorders. Yeah. Okay, walk me through. Like, what's so? What is the difference between a neurological disorder and a mental health disorder, or are they the same thing? Um. Well, <clears throat> I, I'm. So, I mean, so, I think so, they can cross paths, but like ultimately, I was afraid of being schizophrenic. Yeah. And then I was afraid of having a. a more debilitating i'm not even i'm not even gonna i'm not not even gonna say its name because uh, i'm not gonna give it the respect but uh, i was afraid of of having then another uh, neurological disorder and um you, you know that effectively translated into hypochondriasis which is afraid of you know being sick i mean just you know no. health, health-based anxiety which is basically where your body will you know not, not only do you have then psychosomatic symptoms that then mimic that thing that you are afraid of but then also because your body is constantly on high alert every single little itch twitch tingle headache whatever like you know oh i have a headache i have brain cancer oh i i'm you know have a stuffy nose i must have you know lung cancer you know like unfortunately there are people that and luckily i you know didn't have this myself but um you know that every single time you know they have they have a you know cut on their arm they're afraid of uh you know gangrene or again cancer i mean this it just it gets really bad for some people and and uh it got very bad for me too but just in a different way but uh why does it have such a hold a hold on me so there that's a, that's a great question why fear can grip its claws into you and there's a lot of good science behind that but uh jack if you want to take it away as to why it has a hold on maybe you specifically yep and i i do want to say as a side caveat uh Valerie and I were listening to the Prelude mm-hmm. episode. I think it's the Prelude, either the Prelude or the Breathing, mm-hmm. one of those two. We didn't take a single break the entire episode. 
Oh, really? Oh, really? That yeah. probably would have been the prelude one, I think. I think so. Yeah. So I just want to be cognizant of that because we're going to get into a lot of definitions yeah. here and a lot of stuff. So Is, are, you, are you saying we should take a break? <laughs> well, I, let's do like a quick, quick break. And All then right. we're going to dive into this because we're really going to like dive deep. Not so much my part, but I kind of threw the softball to you and you're going to be getting a little sciencey there. Oh, boy. Uh, tough guy. All right. Then we will be back here in just a moment. All right, and we are back. So, why does it have such a hold on me? Uh, Jack, take it away. Okay. Um, fear is the root cause of most mental disorders, and it's one of the biggest side effects of, of mental health disorders themselves. It is a natural thing that we have and that we're born with. However, it can quickly become this huge, powerful demon that you wrestle with. Um uh, and we've all had fear at one point in our life, but have you ever been crippled by fear? I, I mean, I, per, I personally have. Yeah. I mean, when I, I would say at the absolute height of my health-based anxiety, I would go home. I, I kind of like you said, where you would put like a front or a face on, you know, when you're acting in public. I mean, that's exactly how I was operating on my day to day. But then I would go home and just break down in a waterfall of tears. I mean, just crying and absolutely petrified. And like, I know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doomed and I'm going to get a horrible disease and I'm going to die. And or, or either that or actually more importantly, I was never really afraid of death and still am not really. To me, death could be a sweet release. What I'm afraid of is... <laughs> is suffering oh, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. lingering with suffering. And it is so, you know, I mean, like you hear about it every day, people that are just dealing with this horrible stuff. And it's like, I mean, you know, it's, I just, I, I am afraid of that. And, and um, you know, so yeah, I mean, fear would cripple me in the sense that uh, I would just think the worst possible disease I could have, that's what I was having. Or, or if I didn't have it now, I was going to get it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it would have me just breaking down almost every single day. Um, so, mine was a printer. <laughs> it literally, like, it just broke me. And the thing about it was, um, I was probably a year and a half into therapy. Uh, we were submitting a proposal. We were trying to, like, it, it, it was due in 45 minutes the place where it was due was 35 minutes away and all of a sudden the, we went through three different printers like one like the cartridge is out the next one was like <laughs> wouldn't come online like it, you wouldn't believe like this thing was just nothing was working right so when we finally got it read, done I showed up to the place and I I am not lying to you I was three seconds late and they refused to accept the proposal. Jesus. And the lady was standing there literally with like looking at the clock. And I was like, I, it's not even. Well, so so now was this that this is a trigger? No, or, no, no. Or... So so what happened? I was late. Yeah. I couldn't turn that proposal in. Yeah. I came back to the office. My wife's like, did you get it submitted? Yeah. And I was just like, no. And it's. And then I literally, no, it didn't get submitted because I'm supposed to say fail because I'm a POS and all this other stuff. And I just, that was it. That was my, I broke. 
That was and like I, your steam valve going off. And, it was, and, and, yeah. and you're right. It was complete waterworks. I had, I had no, I could not stop crying if I tried to. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. And I, on the inside, I, I was tr- literally trembling because I was so scared with yeah. fear. Yeah, and and I had my wife literally like just texted my therapist and was like nine one one goofball has lost it <laughs> i think we broke him that's literally he's, what she said in the text page he's in his tidy whiteies rocking back and forth in the corner of a room <laughs> yeah. so she she drove me to my therapist because yeah. she had like an opening and like i get into her office onto the couch and she's just like what happened and i'm like i'm not worthy i'm like a yeah. piece of crap and you know it's this whole thing but it, i gotta be honest with you that moment was a turning point with my therapy because finally I admitted out loud that I was broken. Yeah. I needed help. A higher power was up there and was watching over me. And I, so, so with your, okay. So, so like the, the printer situation, I guess was, was a, was a trigger for you. But I wouldn't say that the printer is where this crippling fear started. Now, obviously, in earlier episodes, you've told us more or less where this this fear has kind of stemmed from, such as bullying when you were younger, yep. asshole sergeants in the military, you know, right. this kind of thing. But now, moving forward in your adult life, so I guess obviously that that fear of failure is still your biggest fear component. But do you feel that it still has a huge hold on you or do you feel that therapy has been successful for you in the sense that while it's still maybe like nagging on your shoulder, it's it's not consuming you? Yes, I, I think that was a great way to put it. Okay. I, I feel that I have beaten it down. Yeah. But it's still in the trunk of the vehicle. So if I open that trunk and I let it back into my life, yeah. it could easily take back hold. So it is a, I don't want to say it's a daily reminder, yeah. right? I don't get up and look in the mirror and say, fear, go F yourself, right? I don't, I don't need to do that. I've, I've moved past that. But there are some things in my life that I will easily talk myself out of. And, I ha- and I'll catch myself like, ah, mm, that's fear. You, you're okay. You can go do this. OCD, our bike jump, right? Like that's... Yeah, you're, you're, you're not listening to the internal, the negative internal dialogue going through your brain, also called intrusive thoughts um, among other definitions. But the, the th- what you were describing though, and you brought up earlier in the podcast, how fear can also be good. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is a way to reframe anxiety in the sense that you don't want to not have any fear at all because if you don't have any fear at all, then you will be walking out into a, a busy street, you know, full of yeah, full of cars. Absolutely. You, you won't have any desire to wake up, do your job, make money, have a good future because, well, what's the point? You know, and which, by the way, translates into depression because that's ultimately, I think, a, a, a fairly simplified definition of depression is a, well, what's the point? You know why? Why am I going to bother doing this if if I'm only, if I'm only going to fail anyway? If I'm only going to die anyway, right? That's that's kind of anxiety and depression talking. But you want some fear in your life to drive you to do certain things, to drive you to success, to drive you to be healthier. I mean, that's ultimately why I'm thankful for my anxiety because I was falling into I think a pretty bad 
habit of I was eating poorly, I was drinking a lot, and I was just not exercising good mindfulness. And my steam valve, you know, busted open. And as a result, now I, at the very least, maybe I'd like to think that I eat healthier, but even if I don't, I'm at least cognizant of me not doing it. And I think that is at least, you know, it's kind of like admittance is the first step, right? Well, you anxiety helped me take stock of where I was, what I wanted, and allowed me to change. And even though it's taking a long time, you know, we're at almost you know, a year and a half here, but still it's allowing me to be a better person. So you want some fear to try to help drive you to be better. And that is a good way to reframe anxiety is that you don't, you don't want to just succumb to it and like, well, this is me now, right? You want to try to listen maybe to, to what that anxiety is trying to tell you and figure out how you can how you can get past it because ultimately my fear of having a neurological disorder allowed me to realize okay well I need to stop drinking as much I need to eat healthier I need to sleep better because that will prevent having a neurological disorder so you know so I I will say this like I would say if I was if I had fear in the military if I was afraid of anything Mm -hmm. it was sharks it was great whites. So I, I, there was several times in my career I was in the ocean, obviously Coast Guard, mm-hmm. right? And there was times where like I'm swimming back to the ship and it's maybe like 50 yards away. And between, and like 15 feet in front of me, like um, you'll see fish pop the surface to feed, right? Yeah. They're, they're feeding on smaller fish. But I literally saw a three and a half foot striped bass like clear the water Mm. and this thing probably weighed 45 50 pounds so what eats a three and a half foot long 50 pound striped right shark chasing there's something in the water with me and of course it's off of cape cod so god forbid if you can see your hand in the water it's kind of like virginia beach right you know swimming down here well great whites are a problem there so so but when we when i did the great white shark dive in south africa the number one rule they have was keep your hands and utensils inside the cage. Yeah. Don't touch the shark. Sure. I had to. Like, I touched the shark. I it, it I have been afraid of you, you 16-foot muscle with teeth. Yeah. My entire life, ever since I saw Jaws as a child. <laughs> I saw Jaws at the drive-in in 79, Okay. I've been afraid of you, and now you're right here in front of me. You're not a unicorn. You're not a mythical creature. You're real. And it was, I, I, I got to reach out and touch its fin, and in my mind, I let him know that I'm real. <laughs> now, I, we were in a metal Twinkie, right? I mean, this guy was going to eat right through it, but it was my opportunity. But I, if it, so... The shark was like, stop touching me, bro. Fuck, get off, man. And, and I would be honest with you this, like... Yes, my I got bullied as a child, and then when I first came in the military, I experienced bullying. And then when that happened, all of that information from that point until my earliest years of being bullied got locked into a compartment and done. Sure. Like, I focused on the mission. That's it. And when I retired from the military, I didn't have the mission to focus on. So that compartment I locked, the 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 lock on it rusted off yeah and busted open open, yeah so which is a thing i mean right so i'm dealing with something that's 30 years old yeah plus the trauma from all the crap i dealt with in the military there there are numerous instances of people with very uh, 
crippling panic disorder, specifically panic disorder, which of course is a extreme version of an anxiety disorder. And it's because there was some horrible trauma that was just locked in their brain, you know, from, from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whether it was a car accident or a sexual um, encounter, a bad one, obviously, um, and abuse of some capacity that, you know, um, basically just kept that trauma in their body and thus they had panic that entire time. And yes, it of course is possible though to, you know, once you sort of resolve those issues, then, you know, you can then resolve the panic disorder. But what I was interested with your thing with the sharks is because you wanted to talk about what fear does to the brain or how it kind of acts in the brain. And you, you have two things here, conditioned fear and innate fear. And the shark thing is an interesting one because that can be both conditioned and innate. And we know it's, we can call it conditioned because you saw the movie Jaws. So you now saw what a great white shark is capable of. Oh, yeah. Which scares the shit out of you. So now that's a conditioned fear because you saw, well, this shark is capable of just chomping my ass and killing me. Conditioned fear would also be the bullying as you as you grew up, right? You know, you you were conditioned to be af- uh, afraid of failure or that you're a loser or something like that because people were mistreating you. In uh, something like an innate fear is when you are camping or you're walking out, you know, walking into the woods at nighttime and you hear some sticks breaking and you know that they weren't from you. So you know what 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 is that? You know what's that noise? That's now an innate fear. Doesn't require learning. It's it's um, th- th- that's the amygdala part of your brain doing what it was designed to do from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago of evolution, which which arguably could use a firmware update. But what is the amygdala? The amygdala is like a little walnut shaped little nugget in your brain, and it basically controls the flight, fight, or fear. Uh, you know, response in, in, um, or freeze rather, excuse me, flight, fight, or freeze, uh, fear response in the brain. So it is, you know, the amygdala is basically the cause of, of your, of people's anxiety. And it becomes a disorder when the amygdala is the one that's sort of taken control of, of your thoughts instead of the cortex. Uh, whereas, uh, obviously if, um, you know, a person without an anxiety disorder, it, you know, their emotional, uh, reasoning tends to be a little bit more sound. For example, you and I, you're, in your case, you're being afraid of failure, my being afraid of a neurological disorder. We're not listening to the cortex, which is saying logically, Jack, you're not a failure. You have a nice family. You have a nice house, nice right. cars. You're not a failure. You're a good dude. Mine, Christopher, you're, you don't have a horrible debilitating disorder or a mental disorder or, or you know, a disease. You know, you're fine, right? No, no, no. It's got, I am a failure because, or no, no, no. I do have this horrible disease because, and that's the amygdala talking. And, and, and getting it to shut up is, I mean, goddamn, it's tough. And, you know, there, and there's a reason why SSRIs help with that, by the way, but we won't, we won't go into that uh, in this episode. But nevertheless, that is what's, what the fear response is doing in your brain. So uh, is there any way of controlling or getting rid of it? Um, and I guess maybe you do want to take a quick break before we dive into that in the yeah, table well, talk. So. Actually, before we do, yeah. I, I, I love this one statement here that kind of helps people, like, figure out the difference between fear and anxiety. Uh Anxiety is future orientated, whereas fear is like the immediate threat. So if some people are like, well, I don't know, am I just afraid of this or is it just my anxiety? Like, and I really appreciate that's a really good kind of breakdown there of how it does. And Yeah, yeah that's, 
I don't I don't want to say I don't agree with that um because it, it, it is true right like for okay so but the the problem is part yes anxiety is definitely like I, I I guess maybe that line is just very very close or very blurred right because yes anxiety is tends tends to be well I'm either afraid of something that will happen in the future yeah or I am afraid of something that happened in the past you and I are actually a fantastic example of this you were afraid of the things that happened in your past correct subsequently made you afraid of failure I'm afraid of the things that haven't happened yet right because they could I could get a horrible neurological disorder in the future right so so where does fear prey in on that well are they two different things yeah i guess i guess they are um but they you know they are certainly very closely tied together because obviously if you have anxiety it is triggering it is you have you have anxiety because you have a fear of something well so then how do you fix that anxiety well you stop being afraid of that thing Yes. The the problem is with mental health is that a lot of the things where we have anxiety about or we have fears about are not a person, place, or thing, right? Like it's it's not a dog that I'm scared of. Typically. I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying typical like you and I Sure. When when, when it comes to mental health specifically. Correct. Y- yeah. You yeah, and I agree. are not dealing with actual physical tangible things. Yeah. Right? Like a fear of spiders or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I could yeah. smash the spider. Yeah. Done. Agreed. It's 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 the concepts that we come up with in our brain yeah. that scares us. Like and I'll be honest with you. I am 50. I have a buddy of mine who's like a year or two younger than me. He had a heart attack and had a stent put in. I have another guy who's 45 who's had two heart attacks. There's a couple of guys in their late 50s that just passed away in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, and my blood work is all in the green now. Sure. So I'm super excited. But but my blood work being in the green is not going to help me if I step in front of an 18-wheeler, right? Like Sure, so, yeah. And, and so to me, like, I can sit here and tell you when it's your time, like, it's not decided by us here on earth. It's decided <laughs> by God, right? Or our higher power. And then you could consequently look back at me and say, hey, dummy, you're 6'4 and you teach a self-defense company, right? Like, Yeah. You're, you're, I, if you're walking I, through Seattle, you're not getting beat up. I think you're okay. <laughs> well, I, I, we, could, we could do that to each other all day long. Yeah. Right? Monday morning quarterback. But we can't look at ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, man. That That is that is correct. It is much more difficult. So, and, and I guess arguably that is why therapy is a necessity for, you know, a lot of people. And I mean, I mean, almost, I mean, really, really almost anybody. But it's, yes, it is because it is very difficult, especially when you are caught in the anxiety cycle, to talk yourself down from that ladder. You generally need somebody else or something to help you talk yourself you know off of that you know off of that ladder um you have you have a a note here basically according to a study published in 2017 uh there was some expert disagreement when it came uh, to the exact brain circuits involved in fear Uh, but much of the existing research suggests that it's the brain's limbic system specifically the amygdala which we, we touched on that are highly involved when a person experiences fear uh, many of the same areas are also active during periods of anxiety. I I don't, to me, I don't think that there's any doubt that 
the amygdala is at the very least part to blame for striking the match of fear and anxiety. But the problem is, and I think that you are kind of seeing this yourself and you're, you're whoever this new doctor you're working with has kind of told this to you, but your amygdala has basically taught your brain, even the, the logical parts, the cortex and the mm-hmm. one, the reasoning parts of the brain that I now just need to sit in a state of fear or post-traumatic stress. Well, it's a fear of, of readiness, right? Or, or a, I don't want to even say readiness because readiness would be okay. But it's a little bit, I don't want to say high alert, but more in tune. Yeah. Because now the amygdala is doing the job of the frontal lobe. It's deciding, are you a uh, friend or foe, right? Are you well, a threat? It, it, ex- exactly. And and the problem is, is it's that amygdala that's overactive. So, you know, I, I, to me, that's kind of um, semantics a little bit, like which part of the brain is, you know, is, is guilty of it. I mean, ultimately, it's the amygdala, but that the amygdala can teach other parts of your brain to function incorrectly. So whereas when, um, okay, here's a good example. You know, you you and I can both walk outside, see a spider, not really be bothered by it, right? You know, our amygdala has not taught the other parts of our brain, hey, spider equal bad. But somebody that has a innate or, or a condition even fear of spiders if they walk out and they see that spider, they're going to freak out. Well, now every time they even think of a spider or see something that looks like a spider, even if it's, even if there's no spider anywhere around, it's because the other parts of their brain are now in there. They're conditioned to strike up that anxiety and make all the little fear chemicals in the brain go on because because of what the amygdala did. So, and 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 because of that, like, and you can say this a whole lot better. The HPA axis? Yeah. What is that? The The hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. Thank you. You know, that releases the stress hormones. And and my neuropsychologist that I'm working with, mine is constantly releasing stress hormones. Yeah, just on overdrive. And the problem is, is that, well, it's not a problem. I have done a good job with my last four and a half years of therapy with, with the PTSD of regulating my response to those stress hormones being released. Bingo. It's 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 releasing them nonstop. Yeah. But I've done a good job of regulating myself. You know, you're right. We walk outside, some person sees a spider and jumps back. And I'm like, don't worry about that. It's Al-Qaeda that we're paying attention to. Sure. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> like you have more <laughs> things to deal with that spider than you do with Al-Qaeda. So, so that leads to a very interesting point. You know, they, there used to be a very common statement that anxiety is a, is a chemical imbalance, right? Yeah. Whereas that is not technically untrue, what we are starting to learn, and, and I believe, was it? I think it was Stanford. Uh, Stanford. Stanford, that's right. Jesus Christ. Uh, Stanford. Anyway. They they released a a um uh, their uh, mental health not mental health department but their their neurosciences department basically outright said that anxiety has nothing to do with a chemical imbalance uh it is it is purely a conditioned response in your brain yeah to me that might have seemed like I don't want to say clickbait but some slightly oversimplification to just try to drive home one important fact which is that. Those that have that chemical imbalance, quote unquote, imbalance in their brain, it is a conditioned one and one that can be fixed and or altered. 
Namely, you said that you still have all of those adrenaline chemicals constantly pooling in the brain every day you wake up. However, you have done a very good job at being able to deal with it, live with it, and experience it with no problem, right? Right. That's to say that other people could do that as well. That, you know, you wake up with a feeling of fear, but you keep telling yourself this fear is not something I need to be afraid of. This anxiety is not something I need to worry about. I can still function and live. I am safe. I am okay. And eventually, your brain will either do one of a few things. It will stop releasing those nasty chemicals like adrenaline and epinephrine and, or, and all those things making you stressed out. Uh, or you you kind of like you're building a pain tolerance. You're learning that you know your mind is telling you, hey, this is something that I can not just you know deal with or live with, but I can maybe even use to my advantage. And... Um, all is to say that when you eat right and exercise and get the, all of the good chemicals working in your brain, you can start teaching your brain that that is the normal response to things. Uh, and that, that um, you know, that I think is a very important step in, in again, as I like to say, healing anxiety. Um, so, you know, again, separating the whole fear versus anxiety thing, you know, to say that they are one and the same probably is not true, but you know, ultimately, I do think that fear and anxiety, at the very least, I mean, they're they're coupled, I, right? It, I mean, like for someone who doesn't know anything about the topic, it would be yes, yeah, you could say they are. But if we're gonna break this down into like a lecture or sure. actually get into the nuts and bolts of it, then no, they're in two the, sort the, of they're problems. they're two, yeah, they're two they're two they're, sure they're just two different things. And I and I guess maybe again a way to explain that simply is you if you have anxiety, you have anxiety because you have a fear of something. Um, because if you don't if you're not afraid of something, well then you're not gonna be anxious about it, right? I mean it's yeah. as simple as that. So um, all right, so let's hit a break here really quick and then we'll wrap up with a couple of quick things and some table talk and we will be back here in just a moment. All right, and we are back. So is there a way of controlling or getting rid of anxiety or crippling fear? We all, of course, know my answer is yes, but Jack, take it away. Uh, <clears throat> they didn't necessarily say heal, right? Uh, uh, I would say controlling. I, I wouldn't say getting rid of because, uh, you know, we've, we've all has, hashed this out several times. A couple of things, you know, the most supported evidence-based treatment for specific phobia in both children and adults is CBT with exposure. Chris has talked about this to Ignatium, right? If you're scared of dogs, put you in a room with a dog, right? Like knock yourself out. Uh, but but, but I mean, it, let's with a with a trained. Maybe don't go into a room full of dogs on your own. You should potentially have a therapist with you while correct doing that. <laughs> and that's called exposure therapy. Uh, they're doing a lot now with virtual reality. Uh, is becoming a popular tool uh, in ex in a clinical exposure treatments uh, using augmented reality. You know they can put a tarantula in a patient's real life environment. They can put it on their knee, and you know, I I don't know how I feel about that. Like, well, it's it's an I mean it's kind of like the AI thing, right? You're using technology now to the to your advantage. I, I kind of think that's cool, right? So if somebody has a now, obviously this is going to be hard to somebody with a fear of a neurological disorder or fear of failure. You're probably not going to be able to use virtual reality. But for somebody that's got a fear of dogs, and you put them in like a virtual dog cafe, you know. I'd see again. Now this is going back to if you have a phobia of a person, place, or thing. You're right. I agree with this. Yeah. But when I don't know what the word is other than concepts, like what what is it like? 
Well, that's I mean, it's true. Like, how do you with a conceptual thing? How do you um, how do you expose somebody to that? But I guess I mean, this this sounds crazy, but eventually maybe there will be like a clockwork orange type thing where they strap Jack to a chair, <laughs> pry his eyes open and then watch you watch all of your failures, you know, throughout your life, a you know, a hundred times until eventually you're just numb to it. And you're like, yeah, OK, I'm not that bad. Is it? Is it because it's coming up on Halloween? You've watched Clockwork Orange because you've mentioned this a couple. <laughs> I, yeah, times. I have. I have mentioned it. No, but but it's it's true, right? I mean, like, I, I mean, I'm, I am joking, obviously, but ultimately that might be a thing, right? I mean, like, you just you are exposed to your past and maybe even future endeavors, and yeah, I, I, and I guess I'm just kind of grappling with this. Is you know, if I if I had an issue with Sharks, yeah, really. Like I could get, I could get with a dive master. I could go out with a biologist, right? And I, I could interact with them. I could see, you know, yes, this one bites. <laughs> this one doesn't. This one will literally swallow you, right? Like I mean, there's some classifications, right? I got it. Uh, <laughs> not a biologist, by the way, and that's <laughs> that's literally how I classify sharks, right there. Um, however. How do I, I don't want to get into like Tony Robbins self-help and like overcome fear, you know, don't be afraid of failure. Don't don't bring that to me. That's not where I'm at right now, right? This this is a a much deeper level that I guess I'm kind of transposing this onto my business life. Maybe it's just Jack as a person, you know, like I'm a... I'm afraid to fail as a husband. I'm afraid to fail as a father, right? You know, and I have two wonderful daughters. They're 27 and 25. They're they are successful. They're not living at home, right? (laughs) Score, (laughs) score, right? Good. So I, I, so then, then maybe your exposure technique would be simply a very strong version of CB CBT. I was about to say CBD, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where as Somebody will keep prompting Jack, why Why do you think you're a failure, Jack? You know, well, I think I'm a failure because of X and X. Well, you know, why, why do you feel that way? Well, you know, well, why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that? You know, and, and until they you, you get to the very bottom rung of the ladder, you know, to where you're to where you're able to sort of maybe just see, the, you know, the root cause of where this fear of failure is coming from. And then what they do is they work on that component. Right. So like, yeah. You know, like, well, it all stems back to when little Johnny bullied me in third grade. Well, so let's expose you to that moment. So let's talk about, you know, Johnny. Let's talk about, you know, how that, you know, how that made you feel and, and you know, et cetera and so forth. Right. Obviously, there's a number of CBT techniques that would go hand in hand with that. But ultimately, that would be your form of exposure is that you're, you're talking about it. You're opening up. I, I, I can see that. I, by, I, by the way, I wanted to ask you about this earlier. When you when you cried, when you had your fear moments, did it make you feel good? Because man, I got to tell you, like if there was anything better than a benzo, it was crying. So, no. Oh, interesting. So like, <laughs> I felt fantastic after having a good cry. <laughs> I go home and I was like, man, I really just want to cry this one out. <laughs> Alex, hold me. <laughs> no, basically. That's that's one of my things that I that I've always had a problem with, like. Coming from the south, men don't cry. Sure. Yeah, I, 
hey dad i'm i'm five and i just broke my nose falling off my bicycle right <laughs> you're a little bitch <laughs> <laughs> i think it's okay if i tear up a little bit like stop yelling at me right um so it's it's that type of thing i i when i cry it's an i get embarrassed and i go directly back to i'm not acting like a man this is not what a man should do. Men don't cry. And I instantly go right back to that, um, that feeling. So I can't, I get mad. Like yeah. I, I, I get so pissed off at myself. Well, what if you, what if you, you know, again, talking about exposure therapy and what if, you know, they showed you a video of like, you know, rock the, you know, Dwayne Johnson crying or, you know, like Jeff Bezos crying, you know, like all the A players in the world. And like, they're, I don't they're give all... a shit about them. Like I, Cry all you want to. I, you live in California. I would cry daily. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus no. Christ. And, and I get it. It's a it's a human response, right? Like, stop looking at it from this alpha male wannabe type of well, thing. Like, it, it's a natural <laughs> human thing. Everybody poops. I don't care how beautiful she is. So, but, but you don't think poops. that that would make you, that'd make you feel better knowing that like well i'm i guess i'm not a you know for me feeling like this you know if these a players are feeling like this then then i i'm definitely not a loser if i'm feeling like this probably i i don't know i'll throw that to my neuropsychologist okay, well, you know, I, <laughs> hey what do you know, think about this brother thought, you know uh, or lisa you know put, put, when put, she comes in yeah which we'll be having here in a couple of weeks um but yeah you know you put on an, an, an oculus uh an Oculus Quest or whatever the new one's called, and and uh, they just show you you know repeating video of of uh, you know old, of strong men crying. <laughs> what, are you gonna make me watch Old Yeller? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I will cry like men cry watching Old Yeller. I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, br- breathing exercises, positive self talk. Um, there's a lot of things that we've talked about in you know on this podcast in terms of you know, how, how to get rid of the fear and or anxious response. Ultimately, and in my experience, I don't know about yours, whether it was meditation, breathing, medication, all of that stuff, it doesn't make it go away. But what it does is it allows your brain to calm down enough to where you can logically talk to yourself, to where you can reason with yourself, and maybe maybe it will work after one time. Some people it will take 12 times, 50 times, 100 times. In my case, it has literally been, you know, damn near a year and a half worth of trying to talk logic into myself. So, I mean, it, you know, it, it, could, it could just take, it could take a long time for some people. But the point is, is that what those things do and why medication can help or essential oils, breathing techniques, why they can help and do help is because they at least calm your brain down enough to where you can talk to yourself logically and get those feel-good chemicals roaming around at least with the bad ones. Not to, you know, By the way, there's no such thing as a bad chemical. Again, those chemicals are there for a reason. So, well, but. so if, if I'm breaking this down scientifically, I believe the reason why the essential oils worked well for me is because my brain was releasing those stress hormones constantly mm-hmm. and my amygdala was in charge. But when I would smell the that aroma and the olfactory that Asha talked about and all that stuff would, would I don't want to say deaden, 
but allow me the opportunity to like take a break from it yeah. so that I could t- get it under control. And I think, I don't think medicine would have worked for me the same way that that did. It's, it's, it's possible that it wouldn't, um, you, you know, there, but again, there are m- numerous classes of anxiety medications at this point. But in your case, you found, and I, and I think probably better so, you found that, that essential oils worked for you. But what they did is maybe from a somewhat of a subconscious level, they were able to trigger the parts in your brain to make you feel, at the very least, relaxed and calm, which in turn allowed you to talk yourself off of a ledge or talk to help somebody else talk you off of a ledge. Right. The reason why stuff like Zoloft works is because, in a way, it numbs you because it's telling your brain you're, you're you're locking in that serotonin so your brain says well i don't need any more of this i'm i'm safe i'm good and what that allows you to do is calm down enough to where you can talk to yourself about that fear in a logical way and again this is not an overnight thing especially something with with an ssri right. you're going to be on that medication probably i mean it, it takes a month and a half to work you know to start working much less to to enable the the effects of its brain Plasticity, which, by the way, those medicines do. Most anxiety classes of medications have a very, very strong brain plasticity effect, which in to say that like taking that medication helps lock, when your brain starts working with the feel good chemicals, it helps kind of lock those things in place a little bit. So and, you know, so brain plasticity is, is very important. But the point is, though, is that you're you're what you're just simply trying to do is talk yourself off of the ledge enough to where you can start talking to yourself logically and and thus working through those issues through that anxiety and again not an overnight thing um some people it will take you know days months weeks years you get the idea so please you know have some compassion for yourself that if you're not healed within a month it's okay it might just take a little bit longer when you are when you're feeling like garbage, obviously the only thing you want to do is you know I just, I'll take more Zoloft, I'll take more Lexapro just so I feel good, so I feel good. Look, you're already feeling like crap. Try to start off with maybe the smallest dose you can, and just see how you. It, it, it takes four weeks, generally at a minimum, to start feeling better on that stuff. Just see if you can maybe you know try to try to just take the minimum dose to to kind of work at it and if and if you need a little bit more then you know go up a little bit more you know go up, but but you know just try not to take the max dose of these things if you can you know obviously you know everybody's mileage is different but you know, I, you know and i get that i do want to throw out that i don't believe i could be wrong that there's an essential oil that you can take that's going to prevent you from operating heavy machinery I'm just going to throw that out there well that's that's true you know um what I mean? n- now to to be to be clear the only medicine you should probably not take while operating heavy machinery is maybe like um, a a benzodiazepine. Basically, if you pop one of those, go chill somewhere. Um, or for that matter, there are um, not, not Benadryl, but there's uh, hydroxazine, which is a anti-allergy medication that they found also happens to work as an anti-anxiolytic. Um, obviously, that will make you sleepy. So yeah, don't don't operate heavy machinery while while uh, popping hydroxazines. But don't don't forget Zofran because that'll make so, you yeah, go and, poop. And, 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 yeah, our sponsor <laughs> our sponsor Zofran. Uh, but Jack's right. I mean, ultimately, there are probably not too many essential oils that will that will uh, prevent you from from operating heavy machinery. Um, 
you know, again, medicine, it, you know, some people you just, they need it. It's okay. It's there. Medicine is not the devil, you know, but, but, um, you know, just be, be careful. And sp- certainly if you are prescribed benzos, to, you need to, you need to take those as sparingly as possible because there is a very, very SSRI withdrawal is a thing, by the way, I'm going through it right now, actually, which we'll talk about on the table talk. But benzo withdrawal is that if you want to talk about living fucking hell. Now, I've never experienced this, but I'm familiar with it from people I've talked to. If you are on a constant hit of benzos and you either cut cold turkey for one reason or another, your anxiety will come slingshotting back something fierce. So you've really got to be careful with the benzos. Um, you know, so if you if you are absolutely desperate and you have to take a benzo to calm yourself down, you know, do your absolute best to to take as few of them as possible. Uh, let's ramp into... To, oh, well, I, there is just one last little piece here that you wanted to talk about. Uh, fear is a feeling that is internal and conscious. Um, uh, there are, according to uh, Mary D. Moeller, um, an associate professor, she, she said that there are three predictable stages the body uses to res- respond to stressors called the general adaptation syndrome, alarm. The first reaction of stress recognizes that there is a danger and prepares to deal with that threat. The hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and automatic nervous systems, they're activated. Primal stress hormones, cortisol, cortisol, adrenaline, and non-adrenaline are released. Norepinephrine is another term for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that is um, basically a clear-cut example of your amygdala kicking into gear. That's why things like breathing exercises, cold water exposure... Um, stuff like that helps tone your automatic nervous system down um, because basically those things are, are shown to, to, uh, to they're, they're proven to uh, calm down the nervous system. So next one, resistance. Homeostasis begins restoring balance and a period of recovery for repair and renewal takes place. Stress hormones may return to normal, but there may be reduced defenses and adapt- adaptive energy left. This is probably what you're going through is a resistance to the feel-good chemicals not that your body will never get to the stage where you want it to be again, but you need to find equilibrium enough to where, you know, to, to where the um, stressor chemicals don't outweigh the the feel good chemicals. Right. Um, you need both, by the way. To be very clear, your body needs adrenaline. It needs cortisol. It needs the, the good ones, dopamine and serotonin. The problem is, is in modern society, we are over caffeinated. So that means we have too much cortisol and then we are over dopamine because we are flipping through TikTok on our fucking phones all day long. So our bodies don't know what is up, right, down, left or right. You know, they're they're going crazy, which then leads to exhaustion. At this phase, the stress has continued for some time. The body's ability to resist is lost because its adaptation energy is suddenly gone. This is often referred to as overload, burnout, adrenal fatigue. This, you know, you get the idea. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately we can all probably say we have experienced exhaustion at some point or another. Um, you know, whether it's work, whether it's anxiety, you get the idea. It's, it's something we can all hit. So. And my issue is I, I never hit the resistance phase until after therapy. That's interesting. I, I would never, I, I would be ramped up and I would keep myself medicated on uh, energy drinks and everything else yeah. until like two hours before bed, and then I'm <laughs> crashed, done, and that, and I rinse and repeat the next day. Yeah, well, so, so I mean, you're, you're you're again kind of a clear cut example of of not finding emotional equilibrium 
thus your nervous system is just all over the place, right? Yes. Like you're you're either, you know, super, you know, well, maybe you never even hit super calm, but the point is is that you're every day you were ramped up and then ramped up again and then ramped so your body's natural habit is to be ramped up. So you need to find that good, com- you know, common ground for for your your body to, you know, in the morning I can have some caffeine and I can feel that energy and that cortisol, but then at nighttime I need to do some breathing exercises and relax and you know just find find again some some equilibrium. But yeah, uh, table talk. Um, let's jump into that and uh, then we'll wrap this up. Spank it on the bottom. Okay, the last time we were together uh, doing a show, you were pinging pretty well. You had just taken yourself off of your Zo- Zoloft. Zoloft. Yeah. Uh, at- are we back on it? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not on Zoloft. I would. I feel fantastic from a mm, just a personal like SSRIs numb. They numb you emotionally and a bunch of other things. And I, I felt that even with Zol- Lexapro was ten times worse. But, but Zoloft, I still felt that a bit. Um, I feel a little bit like my old self again. Things are a little bit funnier. Things are a little bit clearer. They're just a little bit, you know nicer right um i still have some intrusive thoughts still have a little bit of anxiety and i'm certainly going through some ssri withdrawal um namely i'm having some pretty nasty vertigo uh i was also having some fair like i was just getting fucking angry at random ass shit um you know like basically i don't know some you know somebody farted in the airport and then i'd what you would want to just burn the place down (laughs) like so so uh and again, all common things of SSRI withdrawal. Unfortunately, you just got to ride that wave out. That's why they tend to say you need to taper off this stuff. I did not taper very effectively, um, but you probably should taper, you know, in a very effective, you know, manner, just so you don't feel the stuff as much. Because um, ultimately, what can happen is feeling these things can make the anxiety come back. Uh, okay. But I'm 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 using every tool in my toolbox to say, look, this stuff is in your head. It's okay. You can cope with these things. So to answer your question, and thank you for asking, I am feeling very good. I am not 100% perfect, but I am feeling happy and optimistic and really excited about the future, about being off so off. So, you know. Do you think you need to talk to anybody? Yeah, well, <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, yes, but not, not... <laughs> Not because I have something I need to talk about, I, I, I think, right? Again, I've always maintained on this podcast, and certainly to, to anybody I speak to, I think everybody could use a therapist. There, right, right. We, we can all use an unbiased ear to bend. Correct. I, to me, for you, I don't look at it as somebody like, like you just need someone to unleash your feelings on. I think for you personally, it's kind of not that you've ever used one, but it's kind of like a business coach for your brain. Yeah. I think that would be a great. So I think if you look at it that way, mm-hmm. they technically don't have to be smarter than you. They, they they don't have to be a doctor. Sure. That half nurse, half therapist person that you actually did like, you're literally just bouncing ideas off of that person. I, I agree with you. Somebody that is just there to listen and have some compassion, I I, I, I respond very well to. I mentioned this, I think, in, in a few episodes ago. There was a woman from Blue Cross Blue Shield who um, basically was like assigned to me as like a caseworker or whatever. 
and uh, she was a very good listener and very compassionate. Um, and, uh, you know, so ultimately, yes, that is something that I respond to very well. Um, to answer your question, how's the search for a therapist going? Not well. I do need to pick that back up. I know I keep saying I, I will, and I promise I will do it. It is something that I want to do. Um, but, uh, you know, have not done it yet. Because so. as compassionate as I am, I'm oh, yeah. pretty sure you could find someone you're, doing you're, a little you're, bit better job. Your wife, of all people, will talk about how compassionate of a person you are, actually, Jack. Actually, I'm more compassionate than she is. I, I, that, I, I, you know what? I don't doubt that. All right. So that was dealing with fear. What is fear? Just a quick little overview again. What is fear? Fear is basically a sort of component of, of uh, what drives anxiety. Um, why does it have such a hold of you? Well, it's because it's a primitive part of your brain. And unfortunately, our brains haven't received a very good firmware update in a while. And as a result, when the amygdala takes over, it takes over. But can you fix it, heal it, however you want to say, make it better, control it, get rid of it? And the answer is no. Yes. You Don't listen to that imbecile. It. You can't control it, you, can, you cannot heal it. You can exercise, you can eat better, you can do breathing practices and meditation. You can go out with friends. You can be social. You can enjoy life, get into some nature. And what you will do is you will control it by doing those things. And then eventually your brain will start, its, its normal habitual response will be good things instead of bad things. Do not listen to the naysayer, Jack Horner. You can, in fact, heal a mental disorder uh, and and uh, have a good, good life. Anything you want to add, bud? I think you did an excellent job. Thank, thank you. Glad we were able to settle this. <clears throat> no, it's not settled. I'm just saying that you did a good job of speaking just then. There is there is a way out, people. Okay, and that way out is is up. Is up. <laughs> and you and you and you will and you will feel better. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. To the heavens. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will be back with another episode really soon. Thank you for listening to The Only Way Is Up. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please consult with your doctor. Please like, follow, and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you need to contact us, feel free to reach out to us at support at thecoco.net.